All right, so we are in Hebrews chapter 10, and we're going to look at a verse that has been used a lot lately, and that is the verse 25, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another, and so much the more as you see the day approaching. All right, how many's heard that verse recently? All right, we've been hearing that verse a lot and it's a great verse, and it's definitely one that um, we should use. And it's one, though, that is often used inappropriately. And so while I've seen a lot of uses of this verse in the last several weeks, I want to say I've seen some inappropriate uses of this verse, too. And I want to talk about the assembling of yourselves, and specifically <clears throat> this passage of Scripture, because it often gets abused. And as Baptists... We do like to have a Bible verse for everything, don't we? I mean, doesn't it usually help settle an argument if you have a Bible verse for something? And you know, something that I've heard stated many times over the years, many, 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 many times, is show me in the Bible where I have to go to church Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. Show me the verse. And what are they always going to go to? They're always going to go to Hebrews 10.25. So not forsaking the assembly. Boom. Gotcha. You better be at church. Oh, and by the way, you better be at all the revival meeting nights, too. We're having a revival meeting, and you all better be there. Otherwise, you're forsaking the assembling, and you get beat over the head with it. Now, I don't believe that that's appropriate. I do not, I do not believe that's an appropriate use of this verse when we do that. I do believe, as Christians, we are not to forsake the assembling, but I don't believe that somebody laying out on a Wednesday night is necessarily them forsaking the assembling. I, I don't believe that is what it, we're seeing, and I definitely don't believe that in light of the context of this passage here. And listen, I'm a pastor, okay? I'm not trying to make excuses for people to miss church, because let me tell you, i got to write a book for excuses for missing church, because I've heard them all, all right? Trust me, I have heard them all my entire life. So it's, But uh, at the same time, though, you know, what do we do this? Okay, because, and here's what you got to understand. Church has the authority to decide how many services they're going to have and when they're going to have services. You know, do we, should we necessarily, do we have the right to condemn a Baptist church that doesn't have Sunday night services? I mean, you know, I'm just going to, I'm not going to lie. I've never been a part of a Baptist church that didn't have Sunday night services. I've ne- I, I don't know of any. But you know what? I would probably raise my eyebrow at a Baptist church that didn't have su- two services on Sunday. But here's the thing. Where did that come from? And so much the more as you see the day approaching. You know? Where did the Wednesday night come from? And I'm going to tell you exactly what this verse means before we get done with this message. Exactly what the writer was talking about it. But at the same time, you know, so you're like, Wednesday, what about churches that do midweek service on Thursday? Where did they get the right to do that? I don't see them doing that in the Bible. <laughs> I don't see them doing Wednesday either. And I've heard people say, well, Jesus died on the cross on Wednesday, and he resurrected on Sunday, and so that's why we do it that way. I, I don't know about that. I, I don't know about that. Now, I do want to say, I am all for Sunday night, Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday. I'm all for I'm a three. I believe in three to thrive. I want to do three, three to thrive. But at the same time, if a church is only a two to thrive church, I'm not going to go cast them out as heretics. I don't really think I have the right to do that. They have the authority to do that. I mean, where in the Bible do we see having service times at 11 o'clock and 5 o'clock? You know, where do we get the right to change our time from 6 o'clock to 5 o'clock? Don't most Baptist churches do 6 o'clock? 
Why did we move it to five? You know why we moved it to five? Because it's more convenient for us. And we have the authority to do that. We don't have to have a Bible verse for everything. And you know what? I don't have to have a Bible verse for why... Our church doesn't have to have a Bible verse for why we have services three times a week. And I don't even necessarily have to have a Bible verse to explain how many times I personally come to church. I don't think, I don't think we have to have that. Because here's the thing you've got to understand... And you're going to understand this more by the time we get to the end of this message. So hear me out on this. But what you've got to understand is Hebrews 10.25 is not the new Exodus 28, which is remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. And this is what I don't want Hebrews 10.25 to become because Hebrews 10.25 has become the new Exodus 20 verse 8 in the Baptist world today. There's no doubt about that. And I, I personally believe God put that remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy in the New Testament or in the in the Ten Commandments, just so none of us would ever get the idea that we've ever kept all the Ten Commandments. Because you know, we could convince ourselves that we always put God first and have no other gods before him. We could convince ourselves that we've never taken his name in vain, we've never bowed down to any idols. You know, we could you know, it's real easy to know if you ever killed anybody, stole anything. You know, we, but at the same time, where I could probably go through all the commandments, you can say, you know what, I've, I haven't done that one. I've done this. If I got to remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy, we've all worked on the Sabbath, haven't we? And Sunday is not the new Sabbath. I, I don't believe that at all. And I'm not going to talk. I've preached on the Sabbath before. But here's what we cannot do. We cannot let Hebrews 10.25 be a verse that we use to condemn everyone who misses the church service. We cannot do that. That is not appropriate. Now, Hebrews 10.25 is a verse that you could use to determine in your heart that you will follow, but you don't ever beat people over the head with it. I preached a message a while back about Bible truths that we should not preach to others. There are some things that the Bible teaches that we ought to take and judge ourselves with but we're not to beat other people over the head with it. And Hebrews 10.25 is not a verse to beat people over the head with. Nobody should be using that verse. Me as a pastor, I do not want to use that verse to guilt trip people into coming into service when they don't want to come. I'm just going to be honest. If people don't want to be here, I would prefer they not be here. That's the way I look at it. If people don't want to be here, and it's not that I just don't want, I want people here. But we're not going to accomplish anything. We're not going to do any good. We're not going to please God if you're just doing it out of obligation. This is something we determine in our hearts. And if people want to be in church, they will be in church. If they don't want to be here, then I don't want them here. And if people don't want to be in church, I don't think God wants them here either. Yeah, that's just what I personally think. And preachers have always needed that verse, though, to tell people that they have to be at every service. But this verse does not do that. And this is the New Testament. And we should not need another book of laws telling us every little thing to do. Y'all understand that? Listen, you realize in the Old Testament, it's just law after law after law after law. But in the New Testament, it's mostly stories, isn't it? You know, there's commandments, there's instructions in there, but not near as many as in the Old Testament. And the truth is, I don't think we should need a verse in the Bible commanding us to come to church. I don't think God wanted to give put a verse in the Bible like that commanding us to come to church. God wants us to want to be here. 
You understand? God wants us to want to be here. And you know, the, the new, in the New Testament, we'll turn over to Hebrews chapter 8. Look what it says in Hebrews chapter 8 in verse 10. It says, For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, saith the Lord. I will put my laws into their mind and write them in their hearts, and I will be to them a God, and they shall be to me a people. You know, that first covenant, it was written in stones that they literally would hit people over the head with, pretty much. But this commandment we have now, it's something that's written in our hearts. So here's the question I have. Why do I have to tell you? Why do I have to show you something in the Bible if God's already written it on your heart? And I'm going to tell you right now, it's written in my heart to be in church. I want to be in church. I don't need a verse in the Scriptures telling me, you better be there or you're in big trouble. You better be in church every time the doors are open or you're going to lose the protection of God and all kinds of car wrecks and terrible things and sicknesses are going to fall on you. You skip church, the first thing you're going to come in contact with somebody, you're going to get corona. You know, that, that's going to happen and you lay out a church. You know, no, I don't need a scripture verse. I don't need a preacher up here guilt tripping me and telling me stories like that about the guy that laid out a church and all the horrible things that happened to him. I've got a law written on my heart telling me I ought to be around the house of God, around the people of God, and I want to do it. And you know what? I'm thankful as much as we've been hearing this, you know, not forsaking the assembling, not forsaking the assembling, and it's been being used to beat people over the head. I'm thankful that in many places we've seen people anxious to get to church. I'm glad everybody here was like, please shut down, please shut down. No, I mean, everyone was like, I'm going to stay open, let's stay open. People want to be at church. I'm glad. That's good. And, you know, in other places, even where they stopped the indoor services, they, they went to, like, drive-up services. You know, that shows some dedication right there, I think. Folks, that would stink, a drive-up service. I'm glad we didn't do any of those. But, folks, that's kind of lame, sitting in a parking lot. But, you know, you know why these people did it? Because they wanted to do something. They wanted to somehow get around other believers. I mean, they could have watched a live stream. But they, you know, it was a little better. And, and I've seen some of the videos. I mean, there's a lot of churches that had some pretty big turnouts for a drive-up service. Folks, do you, did anybody think those people are going to forsake the assembling after this? I, I doubt there's one person there that says, you know what, I like this drive-up thing better than I like going in church. No, they're all going to be thrilled when it goes back to regular. Okay? So, you know, we can't go... And go, you know, condemning these people and ripping on these people. I mean, a lot of pastors, you know, who made that decision to close down, I mean, they're just like practically have to lock the doors on people. They're all trying to get in. Okay? So are we going to go tell all those people they forsook? They haven't, they haven't forsaken anything. They want to get back in. They're anxious to get back in. And I think that's a good thing. That shows a good church. That shows people whose hearts are right. They're looking for a way to get in church. You know, they're thrilled about going back to church. And I believe that God wants that from us. And so you've got to understand that if we don't create this atmosphere like the Old Testament, where we're doing like they did to Jesus, where they're constantly watching to see if He's going to heal on the Sabbath day, we're going to go watching who's going to show up at church today. We're going to go keeping track. Oh, you know, so-and-so missed service today. They've been missing a lot lately. You know... I wonder if they ever read Hebrews 10.25. You know, you sit, write them a little note, Hebrews 10.25 or something like that, trying to, try to convict them. Do you, folks, 
that is that is a terrible attitude. That is not what God wants. And see, there's you know, uh, well, remember, uh, remember how they were constantly you know, they were they would watch Jesus. They were always going to see what he do. Why? Because they were looking to condemn him. So why is it that Hebrews ten twenty five automatically just makes you want to condemn people? Isn't that isn't it amazing? Okay, we were talking about that a little bit in Sunday school this morning. How people they learn Bible truths and they're just like, great, this is ammo I can go shoot somebody down with. Do you realize how wicked of an attitude that is? Why can't you just learn something and be thrilled that you know it and apply it to your life and teach it to whoever wants to know it? But no, you you learn the plan of salvation and you use it to just condemn everybody to hell. They're going to hell. They're going to hell. That person's in hell. I mean, and, and people get joy out of it. They get joy out of it. Every time somebody dies, people are like throwing a party, you know, because somebody, you know, they're, they're glad one more person's in hell. You know, and I'm, wait, I'm glad you understand the plan of salvation. I'm glad you understand the difference between these things. But why does it bring you such pleasure? Why is it you only use it to condemn everybody else? And I've seen people like this too, where they learn a truth, uh, maybe about dress standards or something like that. They learn it. They change the way they do things. And within a month, they're condemning everyone who doesn't dress like they do. I can't believe he lets his wife dress that way. You are doing it. So your wife was dressed that way six months ago. And you're going to go using that little fact that you learned to go creaming her over the head with it. That is not of God. That is not of the Holy Spirit. That is not a good attitude at all. And I find it very revolting. And people do that. It, folks, it's church attendance. They, it's a good thing. The commandments of God are not grievous. So if somebody has no interest in the house of God and in the things of God, there's something wrong with them. That's not my problem to fix. And that's their problem. They need to figure that kind of thing out. And you don't go learn these things and start doing these things just so you can hit people over the head with it. And then it's like they do. They, they see people in the church not doing these things. Well, I'm doing these things. I'm dressing this way. I'm showing up at all the services. How come the pastor hasn't been sniping these people from the pulpit like he should be? You know? I mean, if I was a pastor, I'd really hammer their eyes to the wall over this whole thing. But you know what? He still seems to get along with those people. He's still nice to those people. Why am I even coming on Wednesday nights? And then all of a sudden, you start laying out of church too. And pastors fall for that. And they're thinking, you know what, I can't let these people get away with it because, you know, if this family starts laying out of church on Wednesday night, this other family is probably going to lay out of church on Wednesday night. And so i got to figure out some way to make them stay. You know what, here's the thing about prisons. Everybody wants to escape them. And I don't ever want this church to be a prison. Okay? I want people trying to get in here. I want people to want to get in here. That's why we throw people out. Because right, the more exclusive, the more people want to get in, right? <laughs> and we, and we're not bad about that. But the thing, is, the thing is, the Pharisees, they went and they actually made the Sabbath a burden. Think about that. The Sabbath became a burden to the Jews because they were always hitting people over the head with it. They wanted to see who could be the most hardcore on all these things. You're not even allowed to have a, you know, heal a man on the Sabbath day. This man's carrying a burden of being crippled and they're going to go and get all over Jesus for healing the man, how dare you do anything? They took it farther than God took it. And what did Jesus tell them? Listen, the Sabbath was made for man and not man for the Sabbath. 
This was supposed to be a good thing for them, but they turned it into a burden. And people have taken Hebrews 10.25, which is a wonderful verse, and they've used it to put a burden on people that they don't want to bear. They use it to condemn people. We ought to read Hebrews 10.25. And it's like, great, I'm in. I'm doing that. I'm going to church. That's the attitude that we ought to have when we see these things. But when you do that, when you get that critical spirit and you go around condemning everybody, you're going to turn Hebrews 10.25 into a burden. But you know what? I have the attitude that says, I was glad when they said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord. So I don't, I don't need to be hit over the head with this. And you shouldn't need to be hit over the head with this. And if you all start doing that type of thing, you all learn this new little fact. You learn this new verse. And the first thing you got to do is go around condemning everyone else. I'm sorry. You're wrong. You're out of line. And it blows my mind. I mean, here we are. We are the people who are all about free salvation, once saved, always saved, grace through faith, no works. We teach all that stuff. But isn't it amazing how many people, they learn these great truths? Folks, salvation without works. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved, right? That's what we believe. You, you're guaranteed salvation just because you put your faith and trust in Christ. Where, and then you've got people, they haven't even been saved five years. And they just condemn everyone. Just they condemn everybody. And the only reason they even, even preachers like that, the only reason they even know the things that they know is because somebody taught it to them. They were blessed to be brought up under a good teacher. You know there's people that get saved in other religions besides Baptists? And those people aren't always taught very well. Those people aren't always taught how to handle the Scriptures. They're often given versions of the Bible other than a King James. So they're going to have some, you know, they're going to have some gaps in their learning. They're going to have some issues with things. And these people often can come and visit Baptist churches only to be swarmed on by people treating them like they're infiltrators or something. And they just have to say, you know, it's like they, they come into church and everybody's got to like check up on their beliefs. What do you believe about this? What do you believe about that? And it's like, man, these people, are, these people, they came in, you know, Pastor, I saw them, they got an NIV. Folks, that's a devil's Bible. You know, they're NIV positive. What are we going to do about these people? I'll tell you what we're going to do about these people. We're going to love them. We're going to set an example. We're going to teach them. We're going to give them some time. And if you don't leave them alone, we're going to throw you out of this church with your King James Bible. You understand that? If we have somebody that comes in here, maybe they haven't been taught real well. Maybe you go souling with them and they tell somebody they got to repent of their sins. You know what? You come down on them. You give them grief over that. We'll throw you out with your clear salvation while we work on them. Because at least they're trying. At least their heart's in the right place. And just you know, six months ago, you were doing the same thing, and now you're ready to throw them into hell for something like that? It blows my mind. It blows my mind how people learn good things from the Scripture, good, wonderful truths that are blessings, and they turn them into burdens. Just I mean, folks, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. That's a good thing. That, that's nice. Hey, one day where you're not supposed to work, one day where no one can accuse you of being lazy. Isn't that a good thing? Isn't rest a wonderful thing? But these people turned it into a burden. And there's Baptists all over the country today. They have made attending church a burden. People are being guilt-tripped into coming to church. 
They're not coming into church with their hearts right. They're not coming into church ready to serve the Lord. They're coming because, you know what, if I don't come to church tonight, sister so-and-so is going to like be talking about me. You know, if I don't come to church tonight, you know, the pastor, he's going to be sniping me from the pulpit. He's going to be talking about where all those folks should be here tonight. You know, I, I know I'm preaching to the choir, but, you know, there's some folks not here. They really could have used this message. But where are they? You know, that's why you don't want to miss the church. You can be like Thomas. Didn't show up for service, and he missed it when Jesus showed up. A man, the Lord gave me a wonderful message. It would have straightened out everybody who's not here tonight, but they ain't here. And you know, and they know they're going to get sniped from the pulpit. And so, what do they do? They drag their carcasses into church, and they're doing it for the pastor. They're doing it for the people. A bunch of judgmental Pharisees in the church. They're not doing it for the Lord. And then we wonder why we got bad attitudes in the church. You know, we wonder why everybody's just so down and acting like serving the Lord is a terrible thing. That is not the way it's supposed to be. Never use Hebrews 10.25 to beat somebody over the head. Okay? Don't use Hebrews 10.25 to beat churches over the head that shut down their services during this whole thing. Okay? I, now, there's some churches out there, I think, they've, I think they wanted to close down. All right? I mean, I know some of these trendies, they're out there, and it's like they don't even want to open back up yet. You know, I think they like the online thing. It was easier. But folks, that is not the vast majority of churches. The vast majority of churches, they didn't want to do it. And, you know, we can talk all day long about, you know, what should have been done, you know, hindsight, blah, blah, blah. You know, at the end of the day, it doesn't matter. But you know what? As a pastor, I don't need to be going and slamming these people over the head with Hebrews 10.25. And you say, well, you know, you've been pretty strong in your opinions on these things. Again, my big beef has been with government trying to tell churches what to do. You understand that? A church can do what they want to do. Okay? A church can do that. When we have canceled services for snowstorms, we weren't forsaking the assembling. We wanted to be at church. We would have been in church. We, plan- we didn't cancel service. We'd go to the ball game. Okay? We did it because it could be dangerous. And sometimes we've done that and it wasn't dangerous. The forecast was wrong, but we didn't forsake the assembling. It, and, and these churches that, that did that, okay, if, if we want to condemn, criticize, whatever, okay, nobody can stop you from doing that, but don't use Hebrews 10.25. That's not appropriate. That's not what this is for. You're turning this into a burden. That is not what God wants to do. Because again, the way I'm gonna, we'll see more of this as we go. That's not how this... Verses being used. They're not using this right. So you need to understand there's a difference between forsaking the assembling and not being faithful to the house of God. Okay, 1 Corinthians 4 2 says, Moreover, it is required in stewards that a man be found faithful. Okay? If you want to be a steward of something, you've got to prove yourself faithful. You've got to prove that you're someone that can be counted on. Okay? You've got to show some consistency. You've got to show some honesty. If you're going to be a steward with money, you know, whatever it is, you've got to prove yourself faithful in something. But here's the thing. Would anyone say that our elderly members that attend only Sunday mornings have forsaken the assembling? They don't, they don't come Sunday nights and Wednesday nights. They're here every Sunday morning. Okay? Have they forsaken? All right? To forsake something... To give it up, right? Have they get, they're here every week. Okay? Not right now, but I, and I, I believe they'll be back. But have they given it up? No, they haven't given it up. 
Okay, saying they given somebody has forsaken the assembling because they missed church one time or they missed a Sunday night, that would be like, let's say, an adulterer commits adultery on his wife. All right, but then he says, I forsook it because I skipped committing adultery last week. Yeah, but you did it the week after that. Okay, he hasn't forsaken it. Okay, forsaking it means he quit doing it. I mean, he's not doing it again. That's what it means. To forsake something, okay? If he does it once a year, has he forsaken it? No. Okay? He's not forsaken it. You forsake it when you decide, I'm done with it. I'm never doing it again. Okay? So let's, let's make sure we get this right. Okay? Now, so, so I, if I go to church once a year, I'm good, right? Oh, you're unfaithful to your church. And if, you're, if you only come to church once a year, God bless you. We'll be glad to see you once a year. But you're not going to be used. Okay? You're not going to be able to be used very good in this church. You're not going to be as effective of, as, of a Christian. And so, you know, I don't think we can say either that anyone who's staying home until the plague passes has forsaken the assembly. I don't think they're done. I don't think any of them are done. I personally believe they're all going to be back. They're staying home for their protection because they feel they need it. And the truth is, they're, them staying home, you could say too, is for our protection as a church too. Because the last thing we want is people getting corona from our church and dying. That's not going to help our church. and It's not going to help all the churches if that happens. So, you know, I wouldn't, I wouldn't tell any of our elderly people they can't come back. If they want to come back, we'll let them come back. People can make decisions for themselves. But at the same time, too, you know, I do feel a little better just in case. Just in case. But ultimately, I'm leaving, I think the decision is theirs, not the government's, and not mine. But I do think it's fine if they want to do it for their protection because it's also protecting the church too. Okay? So, you know, that person though who attends church more is going to be able to be used more. The person who's there, you know they're going to be there Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. They're going to be used more. You know, they're going to be exhorting one another more to love and good works. You know, they're, as a pastor, I'll know, hey, this is somebody I can count on to maybe do this thing in the church or do something else. But at the end of the day, What's important, if you want to be used, is this, that you be faithful. There's people that do things in the church that only come on Sunday mornings, but you know what? They're consistent. I, I know when they're going to be here. There's some people who just kind of hit and miss sporadic. You just never know. You never know. You know, if I'm, if I got to decide who's going to do something and put it in the bulletin or whatever, it's like you never really, there's some people you don't really know if you should put them down because you don't know if they're going to show up because they're not real faithful. But then there's other people all right, I know what they're going to do. They're consistent. They're faithful. But maybe they don't do three services a week, but they're still faithful to what they do, and they've not forsaken the assembly. Okay, By any definition of forsaken, they have not forsaken it. Do you all understand that? So we don't get to hit people over the head with Hebrews 10.25. I've heard, I heard a preacher one time get up, and I've, and I've heard multiple do this, but there's one in particular I remember saying there's something wrong with you, meaning... He doesn't think you're saved if you show up to church on Sunday morning and we don't see you again until the next Sunday. There's something wrong. You know, maybe, okay, there, listen, there's a lot of reasons people might only want to go to church once a week. One, their schedule might only allow for that. Okay, if that's the case, if that was me, I would try to fix my schedule because I want to be there all the time. But some people don't have the same priorities that I do. Okay? 
but maybe two, your preaching stinks. And they don't want to. I don't know. That could be a reason. I think, I think you ought to go even if the preaching stinks. But some people are more carnal. And they, just can, they can only take, take it once a week. You know? I mean, if I was getting thrown into hell every week because I didn't you know, go to all the services, I'd probably only handle that once a week. I wouldn't be able to handle that three times a week. But, you know, there, there's a lot of reasons. But at the end of the day, why do I need a verse to beat you all over the head? I mean, it should be in your heart. We're supposed to be here for the right reason. And if I have to twist your arm, that's, just, that's not what God wants. That's not what God is looking for. But at the same time, you know, if you do have that desire to be used more, you ought to be faithful. You ought to be there whenever the doors are open. It will, listen, when you're here all the time, it's a blessing to everyone. Nobody wants to sit in an empty building. No pastor wants to preach to empty pews. Okay? People want to be around other people. There's somebody that you're going to be able to be a blessing to every time you're here. And if you have a desire to be a blessing, if you have a desire to make a difference and to be used then you're going to be like, I want to be in church. You're going to, you're going to want it. Nobody's going to have to make you do it. And so the, here's the, the two things that pastors like to harp on the most, and I think it's interesting. I mean, what, what would you all say the two things are that most pastors, pastors would harp on the most? Go ahead and say it. Church attendance is one. What's the other one? Tithing. Right. Tithing. Okay. Now, I don't, I don't harp on tithing a whole lot, but yeah, folks... A lot of pastors, they talk a lot about money. They talk a lot about money. There's, there's no doubt about that. But did you know there's no verses in the New Testament that says you must be in church every time the doors are open? And did you know there's no verse in the New Testament that says you must tithe? Okay? I hate to reveal that to you. Y'all aren't getting your checks back, all right? But at the same time, it's, just, it's not there. I, I wish I could tell you that. But here's, here's the other thing, too. I love this. You go ask 95% of Baptist pastors, show me in the Bible where I have to be a church every time the door is open. Hebrews 10.25. And say, show me in the New Testament where I have to tithe. Because most tithing sermons starts in Malachi chapter uh, 3 or 1. I don't, it shows how often I preach in tithing. 3. So, that, you know what else? So, if you, if you say, show me tithing, they're going to go to Hebrews 7. Turn over to Hebrews chapter 7. Hebrews chapter 7 and verse 9 it says, And as I may say so, Levi also who receiveth tithes paid tithes and Abraham, for he, had, he was yet in the loins of his father when Melchizedek met him. So Abraham tithed before the law. Okay? And that's true. Abraham tithed before the law. And you know what? I personally believe that God wants us to tithe. You know, I, I believe that. I believe that, and I practice that. Okay? That's, that's what I believe. That's what I practice. But I can't show you a verse in the Bible. All this tells me is that Abraham paid tithes to Melchizedek. And so, you know, you can use the principle there, but folks, where's the command? Okay? If, if tithing is what we need to survive as a church and be able to pay the bills and all these things, and, you know, the Bible said God ordained that they that preach the gospel, live of the gospel, pay the preacher, all that kind of stuff that we all know is biblical. Where's the command to tithe? Well, there's that verse in the Bible too that says uh, on the first day of the week, let everyone you know, lay and store all that, that verse. But if you actually look at the context of that, that's, that's specifically referring to a specific collection 
that the Apostle Paul was taken up for the poor saints in Jerusalem. That was a missions offering. That wasn't about tithe. So, folks, where's the verse? Why, why do I have to... Here's where the verse is. It's written on my heart. That's where mine is. It's written on I want to do it. You can't stop me from doing it. Okay? I, I want to do this. And I personally think the best verse that talks about giving in the Bible is in 2 Corinthians chapter 9. Turn over there. 2 Corinthians chapter 9. Look what it says. But this I say unto you, he which soweth sparingly shall reap also sparingly, and he shall sow, he that soweth, which soweth bountifully shall reap also bountifully. Every man according as he purposeth in his heart, so let him give. As you purpose in your heart. Okay? Pastor, I've only purposed to give 5%. Okay? No, I think it's 10%. Where's the verse? Where's the verse? Now, said, I go off the principle from the Old Testament. Okay? I don't think, I just personally don't tend to think they got a discount in the New Testament. Uh, but that's just what I personally think. I don't have the verse for you, folks. I don't have that verse, but I do see, the Bible says, every man, as he, according as he purposed in his heart, so let him give. Not grudgingly. Or of necessity. What would that mean? If I have to. If, I, if, if, if there is a command in the New Testament that says you have to give 10%, then I have to give 10% out of necessity. God doesn't want me giving out of necessity. God doesn't want me giving grudgingly. If I have to do it, I'm doing it for the wrong reasons. Folks, I know churches that keep track of the members and whether they're paying their tithes or not. And they'll actually get on to their people. If they're not paying the tithes, they won't let them go to the business meetings. They won't let them vote. If they're not tithing, they're keeping track. If we did that here, you know why you're all going to give your tithe? Because they're going to be checking up on us. You know, pastor's going to start sniping us from the pulpit and he's going to do another 20-week series on giving. If I don't give, that's not, that's not what God wants. Y'all realizing giving is an act of worship? And we're supposed to be doing this from the heart and I, that's what I want. I want people giving from the heart. I want people giving because they want to give. And here's why, too. I, I'm not going to lie. It's a financial decision. All right? I'm trying to get the most money out of you as possible. And I've just learned people do what they want to do. And if you all don't want to give, you're not going to give. But if you do want to give, I won't be able to stop you from giving. So I'm going to go up and tell you that, you know what, there's not a verse. This says you have to. God wants you to purpose in your heart how you're going to give. And he wants you to do it not grudgingly or of necessity because God loveth a cheerful giver. And I personally think cheerful givers give more than grudging givers. And again, the, the number's not there. But when people do things from the heart, it's always better. Everything's better when it comes from the heart. All the works we do is better. What's our, I mean, whatsoever you do, do it heartily as of the Lord and not unto men. And that includes your giving. I want you doing it from the heart to the Lord, not out of necessity for Pastor Tommy because I don't want him sniping me from the pulpit. That's not how things go. But that's what people do. And they've literally made, again, this become a burden and a bad thing. You know what? I thank God. And I'm not trying to brag or anything. I was taught to tithe from a little child. First time I made money, my dad taught me how you ought to tithe. 
and you ought to give 10% of that. I've always done it my whole life, and I, I just think it's wonderful that I can look back in my life and know that even giving 10%, the Lord has provided for me. The Lord has taken care of me. I've always been able to pay my bills. I haven't filed bankruptcy. I've not ripped anybody off. I've been able to do what I've, I've, I've been able to do, giving 10% of my income. And yeah, if you do the math, I could have done a lot of other stuff you know, with that money. But you know, God shows that it's not about the math. With Him, it's about God's blessing, and I want to keep, I want to keep doing it. I want to tithe. I want to give. And it, it, it blesses me to give. It pleases me. Hey, folks, I'm not lying. It literally pleases me to give. I want to put that check in the offering. I want to do this, and you can't stop me from doing it. Because it's just something that's in my heart. And when these things are in people's hearts, you can't stop them from doing it. But if you go around hitting everybody over the head with tithing verses, and you're treating it like the Pharisees did, where you're tithing a mint and anise and cumin, but you're omitting the weightier matters, you're going to ruin it for everybody. Listen, Pharisees always ruin everything. And you're going to take away the worship from it. You're going to take away all the good things about it. And it's not a bad thing. It brings me pleasure to give. It is more blessed to give than to receive. That's what the Bible says. I will be happier if I give. That's what I've been told by God. And you know what? It's it's true. I can say that from experience. And I'm thankful for that. Don't you dare come in here and ruin it for everybody by twisting their arm and making them do it. There's just some things... We should not be forcing people to do, and I believe this is one of them. I do. I believe God wants us giving from the heart. It says in Hebrews chapter eight and verse ten. Let's turn back to Hebrews chapter eight. <clears throat> I think we already looked at this verse. Look at it again. It says, "For this is a covenant." It says, "I will make with the house of Israel in those days. I will put my laws into their mind and write them in their hearts." We ought to underline that verse. I believe that God's done this. He's, he has these things in our hearts, and so I don't have to have a verse. I don't need to... Nobody needs to hit me over the head tell me what to do on these things. This is, this is what I've purposed in my heart. And, you know, some people, they've purposed maybe to do less than 10%. Some people maybe purpose to do more. At the end of the day, what's God telling you to do? It, I know people just say this, all right, and the preacher just says this at the camp meeting and stuff. Just give whatever the Lord lays in your heart. Right? But that's actually what you should do. Give whatever the Lord lays on your heart. That's how, that's how these things are supposed to work. And so, when it comes to the assembly, all right. So back back to this. I hope we've established the fact that we don't hit people over the head with this. Okay, we're not going to go beating down other churches that shut down during this whole thing with Hebrews 10.25. We're not going to do that. That's not appropriate. We're not going to be beating down people over the head uh, from our church for laying out of a service, telling them they forsake. If you don't want, if, if you got a problem because somebody else isn't at church on Wednesday, okay, you got to think about it. Why does that bother you so much? Okay, are you here out of obligation or are you here because you want to be here? If you're here because you want to be here, it shouldn't matter who's here or who's not here. That's the thing that blows my mind. All these people that can't just be content to be right themselves, they've got to make sure everybody else is right. That's the first thing they do is make everybody else right. That's out of line. 
And so lastly, what I just want to show you here too, and this is kind of for outsiders because I keep getting asked about this. You know, people, uh, you know, I've had people email me and leaving comments on YouTube. Everybody, and even government people are wondering, why can't churches just live stream? You know, why can't they just live stream their services? And it's something, we're not forbidding worship. You're allowed to do it with 10 people. You know, you're allowed to live stream. People are allowed to pray in their homes. We're not forbidding religion. But folks, you all know this. I'm preaching to the choir right now. This is for people who watch online. Okay? But here's why assembly, you do, when you're, you're not going to church when you watch a church service online. Okay? That's not church. If that's all you can do, then that's what you should do. Okay? If that's all you can do, if that's all you can do, that's a blessing. That's a good thing. Alright? You know, it's, there, there's good things from it. But listen, here's why assembling can't be done online. Because one, you're not assembling. Are we together? Online? No. Okay? And... Okay, this is not, again, you know, what a lot of people want to do, then they want to go to Hebrews 2, you know, 10.25 to prove what an assembly is from the law and beat people over the head with it. You know, then they want to go and say, you can't, you know, you're about right with God. If you're staying at home, you're not supposed to forsake the assembly. That's not, not where we take the opportunity to do that. Stop looking for your opportunity to beat somebody over the head with a verse. That's not what, it, that's not what this is about. Okay? This does this passage does not mean people are sinning if they're set, you know doing services in parking lots. Okay? And I don't think so. I don't think there's a person in the church that wants live stream church only. I'm, I'm sure there's some goofball out there that does. It's just lazy. But most people don't. All right, not normal people. I don't think there's any church that wants parking lot services to be the new normal. I don't, I don't think there's anyone that wants to do that. Okay, I think this is actually going to make them appreciate assembling more. But so if your church, and the truth is, churches who are doing live stream services, I think those people ought to be participating in that live stream. I say, well, I'm going to go check the other church out in town that's still having services. No, you participate in what your church is doing. You know, if they're doing a parking lot service, go to the parking lot service. That's what you, that's what you ought to do. And so here's why, though, you can't assemble online. This is why it's not church, why it can't be done. Because one, not everyone can do it. We've got a lot of older people in our church. They don't have internet. They, they can't do it. It's, just, it's not possible. But then two, there's a difference between personal worship and congregational worship. What's better, singing by yourself or singing in the congregation? I love Psalm 149.1. Praise ye the Lord. Sing unto the Lord a new song and His praise in the congregation of the saints. You can't do that by yourself. Hey, I love I enjoy singing by myself too. I love driving down the road in my car, playing music and singing along. I enjoy that, but I like singing with the congregation better. That's a part of worship. Okay? Coming together to worship, it's a special thing. Lost people can't understand it though. It's it's amazing listening to these politicians. Why can't you just you know telling telling churches y'all can sing but you have to wear masks. I haven't tried singing in a mask yet, mask yet, and I don't plan on. But that can't be too helpful. All right, that that can't be too helpful. Or tell that some of them are telling congregations you can have service, but you can't sing. How is that not prohibiting the free exercise of, uh, exercise of religion? That's part of what we do. 
as we sing as a congregation, you're going to tell us we can't do that? Baloney. We're singing. Okay? With our faces uncovered. It sounds better that way. We like to pray together. Listen, thank God we can pray by ourselves. You can pray anywhere, at any time, by yourself. But there's something special about coming together and letting everybody else know our prayer request. I mean, folks, if we really believe in prayer, what's better? Just me praying for something or the whole congregation praying for something? The whole congregation praying for something that's better. We believe in that. We believe God blesses that. Why would we not want to do that? Hey, these, these are essential things to us. We need the fellowship. That's another thing people don't understand, too. They think that church is just listening to a guy preach. No, it's not. I love it that our you know people here, they show up early, they leave late. That that's part of it. Y'all understand? We've got our our format and our schedule and our thing that we do in the service, but that's not all we do as a church. We go sewing together. We talk about things. We talk about the sermon. We talk about the Bible. These things they the, the talking about the Bible, I don't know if you realize how much that helps the preaching because a lot of times, you, there, there's something about conversation that sparks people's interest. It's like, how many of you before have ever watched a movie just because everyone was talking about it? Okay, isn't that why they have things like Twitter and social media? They want you all advertising these things. If you're all out there, you know, hashtagging something, people are going to get curious. And, when, and we all want to be a part of the conversation, don't we? We all want to act like we know what's going on. And so if everybody in this church is always talking about the Bible and the things of the Bible, and you're just standing there and you have no idea what they're talking about, you know what you're going to do? You're going to get curious and say, you know, I'm going to go learn some of that stuff. You know, I, you know when we're talking about a sermon, hey, did you hear this sermon? Did you watch that sermon? They're like, no. You know what they're going to do? They're going to go watch that sermon. You know why they did that? Because they came into a congregation where everybody's talking about the things of God. Now, some churches, if you go to them and you fellowship with the people, you're going to get real interested in sports. You're going to get real interested in politics. You're going to get real interested in a lot of carnal things. But, you know, a church is doing things right. You're going to get real interested in spiritual things. And then all of a sudden, people have this attitude, well, I don't want to miss out on these things. You know, everybody else is interested. I'm going to pay attention to what the preacher's saying. I'm not just going to come and do my time. You know, I'm going to, I'm going to actually see what he has to say. Because you know what? Apparently, this is interesting because everybody's talking about it. And then all of a sudden, they find out, you know what? This is interesting. This is good stuff. That helps. Nobody's getting that that sits at home. Okay? All the new IFB, just, you know, keyboard warrior, people who only watch church on live stream, all they get from this preaching many times is just they learn new facts they can hit people over the head with. That's all, that's all, that's all they're getting out of it. Great. You're getting puffed up with the knowledge that you're getting, but you don't know how to deal with real people because they never get around real people. You know why there's such a lack of grace in this movement? Because they're not around real people. They don't know real flesh and blood people. And when you actually get to know someone, when you actually look somebody in the eyes and not just their little picture, you know, on Facebook, or something, when you actually look into somebody's eyes, when you actually hear their voice, when you actually shake their hand, when you actually have a one-on-one connection with that person, do you know what? You start to care about those people. You start to like those people. And all of a sudden, you start being gracious towards them because you care. 
because you actually love that person. You know, we're all real gracious with people that we love, you know, like our families. So why is it that these vultures love just tearing people apart online? You know why? Because they have no love for these people because to them they're not real people. It's just a name out there and a face that they can just try to outdo. That's all it is to them. But you know, if they actually got into a congregation and they got to know real people, they're not going to be, you know, hey, you can't, you can't be that mean to that person. You don't know them. You don't know if they're going, you, you haven't seen how far they've come. You know, and so you actually learn to have some grace. Okay? But new IFB, keyboard, internet watching only people, they don't have it. And I'm sick of these people just making this whole movement look bad, making us look like a bunch of nut jobs. I'm sick of people learning facts from me and just using it to go beat people over the head with. That's sorry, that's lame. That doesn't happen when you get into a real church. When you get into a real congregation of people, you're going to get over that kind of thing real quick. But So we need that fellowship. You're not going to get that online. We've seen what live stream only preaching produces. And it ain't pretty. And the government don't want it. Okay? We need the fellowship. We need to be around real, live, breathing people. And you know what? People need to be able to ask questions. Okay? People need to be... You know, that helps me. If after service, we're all talking about things, like, Pastor Tommy, what about this little bit? That, you know what? That helps me because it knows what I need to cover better. It helps me know, okay, well, here's where I could be more clear. You know, this is something that would help me get the point across better. You know, here's where, okay, you know what? I, I fell short on this. I didn't do a good job making that point. I can get it better next time. But if I never hear anything from you, then how am I going to help? So, well, YouTube comments. The YouTube comments just annoy the snot out of me because, again, I don't know these people half the time. It's just a stupid face with a big opinion. And you know what? Maybe sometimes the stupid question was in all sincerity, but it's hard to tell. It's, it's hard to tell because I can't look them in the eyes. I don't know that person. I don't know their background. So all I see is a stupid question. And I've probably bitten some people's heads off that I probably shouldn't have before. If they had asked me that question in person, we'd have been fine. And it's amazing, too, how tough people are behind a keyboard. You know, people are, you know, you know, people are more gentle when it's in person. These things are necessary and they are what make, you know, for good churches and good Christians, because it also says right before Hebrews 10, 24 says, and let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works, not forsaking the assembly. Why did it bring that up? Why did it say not forsaking? Because in the book of Hebrews, it's been showing many things that have changed. The sacrifices have changed. The carnal ordinances have changed. The high priest has changed. All these things have changed. But you know one thing that God said, I don't want you to change. One thing I don't want you to forsake, as the manner of some is. Some people have gotten rid of the assembly. That's what he's saying right there. Don't get rid of that. Hey, keep it up and do it. And so much the more as you see the day approaching. And so as far as I'm concerned, we're doing that. Because of the fact they met once a week in the Old Testament, we're doing it three times a week. So we got that down. All right? We've got that down. But you know what? If they're doing it two times a week, I think they've done it so much the more. But not as much as us. 
Okay, fine. Well, if we're going to play that game, then you know what? We're doing Wednesday night and Thursday night to cover all our bases. And then, once we're the ones having four services, I wonder how many other churches are doing four services. <laughs> these lightweights, these minor leaguers, they can't handle that much church. The preachers are too lazy to do that much study and do that much preaching. And then we're going to do that. And some of y'all are going to come in here and you're just going to use that to bash everybody else. Your church only has three, we got four. One of these days y'all are coming out to the big leagues. The rest of us, that, you say you're exaggerating. That is exactly what would happen. How do you know? Because it is happening. It happens. It's been going on for years with people who do the three-day services, you know, just nailing everybody else with Hebrews 10.25. Literally have turned this verse into a burden. That is not what it's supposed to be. It's not a burden. The assembling of believers is a wonderful thing that the lost aren't capable of understanding. And if we treat Hebrews 10.25 like an Old Testament law, we'll end up making it a burden. And that's not... The Bible says in Mark 2.27, he says the Sabbath was made for man and not man for the Sabbath. And the assembling of the believers is a wonderful gift from God that the government has no say in what we do. But, you know, as a congregation, we do have a say in what we do. And we've got a great thing, and we're going to keep it going because it's good. It's what God wants. But we're not going to use what we know and what we practice and make it a burden on other people. That is not right, and that is contrary to what God wants. We're going to follow the spirit of it. I go to church every time the doors are open because it's written in my heart. I give because it's written on my heart. Well, it's not on my heart. Well, I hope the Lord writes it on there because you're missing out. You're missing out. And until He does, you know what? Don't do it. There's no point in you doing this to please me. Then you do it with eye services. Men, please. You're not even pleasing God. You're not even pleasing God if you show up to church here just for me. So we need to make sure we get this straight and don't get caught up. And people are doing this because of the shutdown. And they're like, all right, here's my chance. All right, I'm creaming every church with the Hebrews 10.25. No, don't do it with that. Do it. You know, if you want to cream them, do it for other reasons. Like they're scared of the government or they think the government's boss. You know, do it for something like that. And that's not even necessarily it either. But do it for that. Don't do it with Hebrews 10.25. People have ruined this verse. And it's a wonderful verse. It's a good thing. And I'm thankful for it. So with that, let's pray. Dear Lord, we thank you so much for all your blessings. Dear God, I pray that you'll help us to not get caught up in this pharisaical attitude of just taking these wonderful things that you have given us, these wonderful gifts you've given us, and turning them into burdens that we just beat people over the head with. Lord, these are it's, it's a wonderful thing. It's a privilege to be able to come to your house and to get around other people and to assemble together. Lord, I, I can't imagine life without it. And I pray you will help us to remain faithful to doing these things for the right reason so we'll cause other people to actually want it instead of turning them away from it. In your name we pray. Amen. Let's go.